0: What if it was destined? Wasn't it always you and me? What if it was destined? Welcome to season eight of the Life Giver Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and leadership coach. And Life Giver is where I get to spark honest conversations, interview experts, and encourage you with topics on military culture, marriage, and leadership. So give yourself permission to pause and lean in. There's something for everyone here. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. If you are just now joining me for season eight, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the first series of season eight, which was all about marriage and intimacy. And those of you who did listen to it, um, how amazing was um, Dana and Dr. Seitzma and Shanti Feldhan? I mean, what a way to start season eight with some amazing authors, um, experts in the field. Field of marriage and intimacy, and um, I know that that is um, a group of topics that I know is really important to a lot of you out there. So if you haven't heard them, go back and listen to them. There is so much just gold as far as information goes, and and helpful advice in those first um, few episodes. And so uh, for the rest of season eight, we're going to do other series. And so this is an episode that is going to touch on not only something that is huge in your relationships and in your marriage, I'm sure you're going to see it in your parenting if you have kids, but it's also a topic that comes up in leadership all the time. So I felt like it was the perfect episode to put in between as kind of a bookend for the end of the marriage and intimacy series and the beginning of the leadership series, which is what will come next. I have some incredible interviews coming on the leadership series to include um, Peter Docker, an incredible author and speaker on um, leadership. And um, he wrote a fantastic book called Leading from the Jump Seat. We're going to talk all about that. So don't miss the upcoming episodes in the leadership series coming up next. But today, um, this topic hits all of those at once. And so I felt like it is like a human issue. We see it showing up at home, in our marriages, and at work, and just just about anywhere um, you find yourself in relationship with other people. This topic, which is, um, what is so hard about the apology? Um, So basically, we're going back to the basics of conflict resolution the basics of communication, the basics of what does it look like or mean to restore and repair your relationships. And it all comes down to this one thing, this one phrase, um, two words, which is, I'm sorry. Like, why is that so, so hard for all of us to say? And so I wanna kinda break down for you guys today um, why is that difficult to say? What do we do when we are in a conflict and we're battling over who should say I'm sorry and why should they say I'm sorry and do I have to say I'm sorry about that and just what is happening when that's going on? And so hopefully this will be helpful. Um, I have to give a caveat that Matt and I, over the course of our 24 years together, um, have had an ongoing debate, um, not one that we're necessarily arguing with each other about, but it tends to come up in our conflict, um, but also is kind of a friendly debate that goes on all the time about do intentions matter, which is part of that whole like conflict resolution of, of when there is an apology. Usually for most relationships, there is some argument in there of, I didn't mean it, or don't my intentions matter, right? And so we're going to talk about do intentions matter? and. And why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? So that's what today is all about. Um, And hopefully you can, I encourage you to probably listen to this one on repeat because I'm going to give you a lot of um, great nuggets that I hope that will stick with you that you can use um, in your parenting, but also in the midst of your conflict, give you some steps that you can uh, practice in your relationship And my goal here is to just remind you that we are not able to strive for perfection in our relationships. Um, It's just never going to happen on this side of heaven. And so if we can, we can't get it perfectly every time. I think the realistic goal in all of our relationships is to learn how to repair faster. So misunderstandings are going to happen. Hurts are going to happen. Um, We hope that large betrayals or large, Woundings don't happen, but um, life is difficult. Relationships are messy um, and people are flawed. And so we're going to enter into messy conversations and so we're never going to get it perfect um, our spouse our child our boss um, our external family members they're not going to get it perfect either and so the goal really here is how do we learn how to repair those rifts faster when they happen so we don't want these long drawn out um really hurtful lingering hurts to continue and that's why why I think um, learning about the importance of how to apologize, um, how to repair when an apology does need to happen, and and really getting to um, how do we move faster in this conversation so we don't have um, a long drawn out resolution that I think just adds. Fuel to the fire and more hurt, right? We all know what it's like to have an initial hurt. And, you know, in, in hindsight, we can say this hurt happened. All it needed was an apology, right? All I was waiting for was for an I'm sorry, right? And if you just would have said, I'm sorry, this whole thing would have been over with. And then there's like this, um, standoff that happens and then when we linger or we draw these hurts out forever um then they can cause further wounding right so we get into these places of like why couldn't you say i'm sorry what is it about our relationship that you don't want to resolve the the challenges or the difficulties or you know it brings up a lot of abandonment issues when those Um, conflicts are not resolved. And so we um, feel like, what is it about me that you aren't willing to resolve it, right? So whenever we have these forever lingering conflicts with no resolution, it really can do more damage, which is why the power of an apology is so important. Um, But we also know that just throwing out a generic half-hearted, I'm sorry, doesn't really cut it, right? So we've got to talk about um, the art of an apology, and um, and what are the dynamics that are happening um, to kind of slow down the conflict, um, kind of assess what's really happening, how to figure out do you need to be the one that's apologizing, um, and and really just helping us repair faster. So that is the topic. That's the goal. So um, so here's let's break it down and kind of start with this. Um, You know, yes, I know sometimes something, a misunderstanding can happen. Two people can be hurt at once. Um, Two people have a problem, you know, at the same time, and they want to address it at the same time, and that's a super messy situation. But for the sake of kind of today's conversation, um, I'm going to kind of start with or, or use the hypothetical example of person A feels hurt by person B and is bringing it to person B um, to say, I'm hurt. You did something that bothered me, that hurt me, that frustrated me, um, that upset me, and is um, waiting for person B to respond with an apology. So that is the framework that we're going to use to talk about today. Um, And then I think maybe we'll be able to uh, uh, then take all of these tips and um, these lessons that we're going to talk about today. And we can probably apply them to the messier situation of two people are hurt at once and kind of who goes first, right? So the scenario is person A is going to person B and saying, you hurt me, right? And so what's happening in that moment is person A feels hurt pain um they feel um undervalued they feel um that that person didn't wasn't being thoughtful of them like whatever that hurt or pain or frustration is they're bringing it to person B and they're wanting to show them hey this is what you did that hurt me i need you to acknowledge it um see it value the state of what i'm going through and what those emotions are and to care more about what's going on in me and how that impacted me than whatever your thoughts and feelings are about what you did, right? That's what person A is actually trying to do. Um, I'm coming to you and I need you and I want you to value me and my experience and my, my heart, really, right? Um, do you care enough about me to heal my soul, right? Right? <laughs> But what usually happens is person B doesn't see that first. In fact, they have a variety of their a variety of experiences happening in their own mind and body that sets off all of these alarms and a variety of reactions can occur. and none of them are what person A were hoping for, right? which leads to further hurt which leads into, more conflict. So let's talk about what happens in person B. Like what's the common responses that land these two people into, um, even more conflict or heightened, um, even explosive conflict from there, right? So there's a couple things that typically happen in person B. Number one, um, they get defensive, right? Like this is probably one that happens in your relationships all the time. Um, It's so, so easy for any of us, um, including me, to get defensive um, when we've done something wrong and someone else has pointed it out, right? We're going to talk about here in just a minute whether or not person B thinks they did something wrong or not, right? But let's just talk about their reaction. So this is kind of what person A is experiencing watching person B when they've been told you've done something wrong. How does person B react? So defensiveness is basically another way of person B saying, no, I didn't. I didn't do that thing that you're pointing out. Therefore, something is wrong with you, right? So it reminds me of that childhood rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you, right? So it's amazing how we kind of carry some of these childhood um, things into our adult communication. But Defensiveness um, usually comes from shame that might be happening internally. It is that fear of being wrong or doing something wrong, or something must be wrong with me, um, or not wanting to feel that we have hurt someone, or not wanting to acknowledge that we're capable of hurting other person. And so it is how can I not absorb what you're saying? Because it is more painful for me. It's more psychologically uncomfortable for me to accept what you're saying. And so I'm going to deflect it instead. And so I'm going to bounce it off of me and back to you. No, I didn't. I didn't do what you're saying. You interpreted that incorrectly, which is another way of saying, um, I didn't do something wrong. You did something wrong, right? The second thing, and I kind of alluded to this with the defensiveness, but the second thing that can happen is this warm wash of shame. And so shame is very different from guilt. So guilt is productive. This is what person, guilt is what person A is hoping for, right? Because according to Brene Brown, which I think she has the most fantastic definition of guilt versus shame, um, guilt is I've done something wrong and that feeling, that feeling of guilt um, is a very productive feeling. It's something that um, encourages us and motivates us to want to make it right. So if I know that I've done something wrong, I feel guilty about that. I want to make amends. I want to say I'm sorry, and I want to um, make it right between us. That would be healthy guilt. But Brene Brown talks about how shame is the swamp land of the soul. And so shame is I am a mistake. Guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. So we see this um, in ourselves for sure, but we. We can also see it in those around us when they um, spiral into this kind of shame spiral of, um, I'm a terrible person. Um, you know, I I can't, you know, you, it can sound all kinds of ways. Sometimes it can be silent. Sometimes it can be quite verbal. Um, but either way, defensiveness or shame shifts the subject and we've added a new subject, right? Or we've added a new topic. So basically, Person A is saying, topic number one is you hurt me. I need you and want you to address it. That's topic number one. But in defensiveness, when I've said, no, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. You did something wrong. We've added a secondary topic that Person B is now saying, you did something wrong. So defensiveness creates this kind of standoff of which wrong gets addressed first, what Person A brought up or what Person B is secondarily bringing up in order to deflect and not have to address um, being held accountable, right? Shame, that secondary response that we might see from person B is is another secondary topic, right? Person A has said, you've done something wrong and I'd I'd like to hold you accountable to that. Whereas um, when we have somebody that responds in shame and goes into a shame spiral, we've added a new subject when we start saying, I'm a terrible person, I can't get anything right. And in a shame spiral, what ends up happening is it shifts the whole conversation because now that person B is shame spiraling, person A feels the need or the pressure to abandon their own hurt and their original topic that they brought up to be addressed in the first place and now have to chase person B down the shame spiral to try to convince them that they're not a terrible person. You can hear how the topic has shifted, right? We've shifted the topic to a new topic, which is, is person B a terrible person or not, right? So we've abandoned um, person A's um, need for accountability and need for their hurt being addressed. And now we're chasing the insecurity Um, issue that's happening in person B. So in both defensiveness and in shame responses, you can hear how a secondary topic is brought up in order to kind of distract from the psychological discomfort that person B has in addressing their own humanity and their ability to do something wrong and hurt another person. And instead, we're going to shift the topic off of ourselves, even though shame, it sounds like I'm taking the, the – the yes, the attention is about I'm a terrible person, but we've taken it off the topic of I – I hurt you and I don't have to or don't want to address the hurt in you and what that brings up in me and said, I'm going to go down this kind of deep hole of insecurity and have you rescue me, right? So now the topic is person A is rescuing person B. Okay. Um, a third response that you might see, and you know, what's interesting is that depending on the conflict, you might see all three of these responses happen over the course of a conflict. Um, so it's not uncommon. Um, but I think, and there's far more than just these three, but I think it's really helpful to at least i be able to identify what's happening in you and, and in the other person when these three things happen. Um, So the third one is where intentions come in, the battle or the conflict over do intentions matter is in this third response, which is I didn't mean to, right? So um, person A comes to person B and says, you hurt me. You did something wrong. I'm holding you accountable. I need you to say I'm sorry. I want you to say I'm sorry. And instead of, of doing that, person B responds with, well, I didn't mean it. Right. And this is in this third example, this is where the battle of do intentions matter, that's the new conflict. It's the new topic, right? We've again shifted away from person A's hurt. And now we are on the new argument, the new topic of do intentions matter. So this is the debate that my husband and I have had for, I mean, just our whole marriage. And, and honestly, we sometimes laugh about it and sometimes it comes up in our conflict still. Um And it comes up in our conflicts really because I think the answer to this debate of do intentions matter? Does it matter that person B didn't mean to? Like they may genuinely have meant something else entirely, but person A was hurt by it and person B had no ill intentions, no. um, And that's most of the time what's happening in relationships. People aren't usually just outright trying to hurt each other, right? There's these misunderstandings, these Steps we pass each other like ships in the night, right? And and so you know, um, I stepped on your foot. This is a stupid example, right? But I stepped on your foot, um, but I didn't mean to. And so, do intentions matter? Um, I think the answer to that is yes, but not yet. Okay, um, Matt and I joke all the time when this comes up in our relationship that intentions only matter to person B. And depending on who's in that position of person B, that's when intentions matter, right? But for person A who's been hurt, they're pretty much saying your intentions don't necessarily matter. Like I need you to address the hurt that's happened in me. Um so you're I mean yes, your intentions matter, but they don't matter more than you addressing the hurt that's that's happening in me. In other words, intentions matter, but intentions are different from impact, right? So this is an impact versus intention debate. So intentions do have their place. Um, Yes, it does matter what's in your heart. Yes, it does matter what you meant to do or what you didn't mean to do. But I think if we reframe the language to intention versus impact, it helps us pull apart these two topics um, that have that are now in debate between person A and person B to help us clarify what actually needs to happen. Gottman, which is um, one of the leading experts in marriage and communication and relationships, talks about what he calls the four horsemen. So the four reactions that really um, destroy relationships, um, especially in conflict. And he lists them as criticism, defensiveness, which we've just covered, but also um, stonewalling and contempt. These four horsemen are just relationship killers, if you will. And he talks about how especially um, contempt is one of the horsemen that he has seen, uh, that if we're getting to a place where there's just contempt, which is just flat out meanness that's happening in the relationship, that that relationship is really headed on a path for dissolving or destruction. Um, But I wanted to kind of point out a couple of responses that we hear a lot nowadays. Um, there's certain words that are kind of floating around or being used to describe unhealthy communication, especially in conflict that I hear all the time. For example, I hear from people like, is my spouse or is my external family member a narcissist, right? That Everybody's a narcissist nowadays is the way that that word is being thrown around. And that's actually a diagnosable um, personality issue, right? And so no, I don't believe everybody's a narcissist. I think that all of us have the ability to be selfish. All of us have the ability to put ourselves first and not put person A first, right? Um, But we probably should be careful to not label everyone as a narcissist and actually do our homework to see, um, is there room for growth? Is that person ever willing to change or grow or evolve? Um, Is there something that we could do better on our side of communication? For example, there's a lot of people that might claim the other person is a narcissist, but we're not bringing them opportunities to repair the relationship. We're just hoping that they will resolve it themselves and see that we are in pain and guess on what we need and then chase us and pursue us and rescue us from our hurt. And if they're not willing to do that, they must be a narcissist. So I think we have to be careful with some of the words that we choose. But there's two other um words that kind of are being used uh, more often. And I think it's really important to understand them better. Gaslighting is another one that's used a lot. Um, Gaslighting comes from um, an older movie where um, the husband was literally changing the lights in his wife's um, house. And as she is saying, hey, I think that like the, the house is getting darker and these lights are not working like they used to. And he would just kind of keep with the response of no you're just you're they're the same as they're they've always been and you're just seeing things and he would continue to turn down the lights and remove the gas from the lights um and make her ultimately feel crazy. So gaslighting is a form of manipulation. It is basically when person A says you hurt me and person B goes no I didn't I didn't even do that thing that you're talking about. You're making it up. Um you're crazy, right? So it's it is um, talking the other person out of their reality, um, of talking them out of their experience and saying that thing that you're talking about didn't happen at all. And you are imagining it, right? So that's gaslighting and it is a purposeful use of manipulation in order to avoid the psychological discomfort of changing or growing or seeing this thing that you have done to person a stonewalling is another response that we see often from those who don't have the coping skills to handle conflict and and there's a lot of reasons why people struggle with handling conflict it could be the way that we were raised it could be traumatic experiences that we've had um whatever the maybe we just didn't learn the skills of how to handle conflict maybe we grew up in a home where we just debated and screamed at each other or silence all the time and and issues Issues were never resolved, right? For whatever the reasons are, all of us enter adulthood with a limited ability or capacity on knowing how to handle conflict. So stonewalling is what happens when it, whether it's because um, someone is um, afraid of dealing with their own discomfort of hurting the other person, or um, usually it's because there's a flooding that happens in their body and in their mind of kind of this, it could be a, the warm wash of shame. It could, be, um, I don't know how to handle this situation. Um, but it is a flooding that happens. And because of that flooding, they're in a fight or flight state. And so they just want to avoid the situation altogether. And it's literally like throwing up a wall to that person and backing out of the conversation and closing it down. So stonewalling is when person A says, hey, you did something wrong. Um, I'd like for you to apologize. And and the, uh, the other person who is stonewalling might say, I don't want to talk about this, or we're never going to talk about it again, or they may come back with accusations, um, or they're going to storm off, or they're going to shut down the conversation and never return. So Think of it as an unhealthy timeout that never ends, right? And so any time we have a timeout, whether we verbalize, I need to take a break and take a timeout, or whether we stonewall and just run away, um, it triggers abandonment in the relationship if we're never coming back to the table and never resolving. So stonewalling is pushing the other person away, shutting down the conversation, and leaving person A um, with their unresolved feelings that are not addressed. And it really triggers a lot of um, insecurity, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of worthlessness that comes up in them because ultimately their, their experiences is that person B doesn't value them as worthy enough or valuable enough to repair the relationship. And so they're left kind of entering their own shame of what is it about me or why don't you love me enough that you would want to resolve this issue between us? Meanwhile, you know, the person that is stonewalling is really coming from a place of they don't know how to resolve it or it's too uncomfortable for them to resolve it. And so it's easier just to shut down and push away. So, um, hopefully that helps you understand the differences between gaslighting versus stonewalling, defensiveness, shame, like all of um all of these different things that might come up in person B. And all of these, right? All of these that we're covering are the reasons why these two words of I'm sorry are just so hard to say. Because really if we could sum it all up, it comes down to it is hard for all of us as human beings to um to see the wrong in ourselves, to see the see our own um, sinfulness or see our own flawedness that makes it possible for us to hurt another person. And I genuinely believe that um, all of us, unless maybe you are like this very, very small percentage of people that are in our cyst or are a sociopath, which is even a smaller percentage that just doesn't care or is actually um, wanting to hurt other people, a majority of the population, um, is genuinely, genuinely trying to not hurt anybody. And so when you kind of have this mirror that's held up to you, that you see your flawedness and your ability to hurt another person, it is, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to anybody. And so rather than just say those two words, Um, And let's be honest, you know, how we say those two words, I mean, that gets us into a whole other conversation of like – is this conflict going to end or were those two words good enough? Um, they're scary to say, um, it's scary to humble ourselves. I remember our son who is now almost 16. Um, he had the hardest time as a kid when something would happen on the playground and he would need to say, I'm sorry, it was the longest standoff ever. Um, for him to just say, I'm sorry. And he would just throw a temper tantrum. We would have literally a standoff on the playground. But there was times that I knew like, this is so important for you to learn how to say, I'm sorry. Like we cannot walk away just because it's hard for you to say it or just because it's uncomfortable. And I remember there was moments where, However long the standoff was, eventually, when it came time for him to say, I'm sorry, he would burst into tears. And it just was so overwhelming for him to be vulnerable and own. That he had hurt someone, and I genuinely, genuinely believe he is just a sensitive person that actually cares about people. And the thought that he had to admit that he actually hurt someone was just too painful for him to bear. But such an important skill to learn—not just the humility of seeing ourselves accurately, but also the humility of um, tending to and repairing the relationships around us. So, so those are some of the biggest reactions that you might see in person B, but let's get to like, how do we actually repair the relationship, right? That's the important part is number one, I mean, yes, we need to understand and recognize what's happening in the people around us, but really what we're here to talk about is how do we actually repair? And more importantly, how do we learn to repair faster? And I think paying attention to all of these details can help us eventually learn the skill of repairing faster. So going back, to that number 3 of I didn't mean to going back to intentions um I think that what can help us move towards um Maybe changing our language, you know, when most of us aren't meaning to hurt anybody, and we get into this debate of do intentions matter? Perhaps um, a new framework or or a new language of what it is that we're actually talking about. And I can't take credit um, for what I'm about to share with you. I actually found it in an article, but I wanted to share it with you, and I'll put it in the show notes um, because it's a really great um, pulling apart of intention versus impact. Because what person A is talking about is what you did, like your behavior made an impact on me. When you stepped on my foot, the impact was that it hurt my foot. And I'm wanting you and asking you to address the impact of your behavior on my life. Whereas person B is struggling with their intent, right? So let's define those two. Intent is what you have in mind as the goal when you decide to perform an action. So your intention, it reflects what type of impact you want to create with your action. So this is what you have in mind, like this is what's in your heart, what your intentions were. Um, When New Year's Eve comes around, we set intentions for the year. It's what you have in mind of what you want your year to feel like um, or what you want your year to look like. And so in relationships, we have our intention, what we have in mind of what we want the other person to feel and experience of us. Um, But that is different from impact. So impact is the result of those actions. The results aren't necessarily the same as what you may have intended. Impact reflects the reality of your actions. So that's a great kind of, if you wanna shorten that, impact is the reality of your actions, okay? What really happened? I didn't mean to step on your foot, that was my intent. But the impact was that the reality is I did, right? So intention versus impact. So let me give you um, a couple of tips on intent versus impact, okay? Intent is what you wanted to do. Impact is the reality, okay? Intent is how you think or feel. Impact is how your actions make the other person feel, okay? Another one, intent is who you are impact is what you did. Are you hearing the difference? Okay. So when you find yourself in an argument of do intentions matter, they do matter, but not yet in the conflict. Okay. Because what we need to do is address the first topic that was brought up from person A, which was, I'm asking you to address the impact. Okay. Intention is the secondary topic, which, you know, I have so many uh, memories of conversations with um, couples in sessions Um, and even in in our own marriage where it's like, should I have a camera happening in our house during a conflict when you can hear? Like, I know I'm not crazy. I know you said this or I know you did this and now you're making me feel crazy like I didn't, right? Um, So that's the defensiveness and gaslighting going on, right? We've got to talk about the reality of Um, I experienced your behavior this way. It is my reality, and I'm asking you to address your impact on me, right? Okay, so um, intention versus impact. That's number one for how do we start to repair faster. We need to um, pull apart intentions versus impact. Number two, the second thing we need to do when we are faced – with a conflict where um, an apology needs to happen or person A is asking for an apology um, is number two, one topic at a time, okay? One topic at a time. Slow down the conflict, slow down the conversation. If um, we're bringing in um, all kinds of other topics, um, secondary, tertiary. Like if we're bringing lots of topics into the conversation, it can get really confusing and then nothing is getting resolved and everybody is going in all sorts of different directions. And now everybody's feeling shame and nothing is getting done. It's, it becomes completely unproductive, right? So um, whatever the first topic was, in this case, person A saying, you did this wrong and I need you to see its impact on my life and address it. That's topic number one. We cannot move on to a secondary topic. Um, not what we meant to do, um, the defensiveness around it, what you also did. Like, And I would also suggest to person A, let's not um, do like a shotgun effect at person B and bring up like five topics at once of what they've done wrong. Like we should be bringing up one topic at a time and addressing and healing that topic one at a time. Once it is resolved, once we get to, and I'm sorry, well, and I'll walk through how we get there, but once we resolve that and person A feels that it's resolved, then we can move on to topic number two, which might be your intentions person B's intentions, whether or not they meant to do it or, um, or, you know, person B saying, yes, but in the course of this conflict, the way that you were talking at me or the way that you were screaming at me, that's something that I now need to bring up with you. It's the secondary topic. Now we can go into that secondary topic, but we need to address them one at a time to keep things as clean and as streamlined as possible so that we are repairing along the way. Um, Timeouts are good, and we're going to get to that in a second, In a second, but we need to be careful that if there is like another secondary topic that needs to come up, unless we're just flat out exhausted, let's like, you know, we might want to give room for that secondary topic to come in afterwards if needed, right? Like if we get into, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up the reality of your choice in my life, person A is bringing it up, they get their apology, and then we shut down and we don't have any other conversation after that. Um, that, that usually doesn't go – really well, right? Because there's been a lot of things that are happening in this conflict. And so um, moving on to that, whatever that hanging um, unresolved secondary topic, that would be the time for that. Okay. So just to review, number one, separate intention versus impact. Number two, address one topic at a time. Usually whoever brought up the first topic, they should go first. Number three, The number three is have a race towards maturity. So let me explain where that came from. When I was teaching, um, this was when Matt was stationed at the intelligence center in Charlottesville. Um, we were teaching on the importance of curiosity in the workplace, especially when there um, is the potential for conflict. Um, this, this organization had a lot of civilians who've worked there for years, um, there was a lot of um, opportunities for conflict and a lot of unresolved conflict. And so we were talking about the importance of being curious into the other person. It's basically the skill of, you know, it's great. It's a, I didn't even add this to our list of, of things to work towards repair, but we could make this another one. But um, when a person A brings a topic to you and they're asking you to apologize, it can be extremely effective for if you are person B to leverage curiosity in that moment, it really helps you turn down the defensiveness and all of the unhealthy reactions by simply leveraging curiosity and thinking about what person A's experience is. It kind of fast tracks you um, through this repairing process. And so that's what we were teaching at the intelligence center was the importance of curiosity. And there was a man in the way back of the room that stood up and said, How do you decide who goes first to be curious? So he was basically saying, if you're in the middle of a conflict, you know, and you're like clashing and there's conflict and both of you have a lot of feelings, who goes first in being curious? Who goes first? Um, you know, letting the other person resolve their their problem, their issue first. And the answer that I just kind of said off the cuff that has really stuck with me. Over the years, as I said to him, whoever is the most mature. So, do you want to be the one that is the more mature, or do you want to be the one that is the least mature in the moment of conflict? Right? I think all of us would rather be the most mature. And honestly, Matt and I have used that in our relationship and in our conflict. Um, It's kind of been funny because ever since I've said that, like if we find ourselves in conflict, really this race for maturity is who's going to be the first one to be the bigger person? Who's going to be the first one to let the the other go first? And that is so hard to do because we all want to win and we all want to be right and we all um, want to be the one that doesn't have to say I'm sorry, right? And so um, it's really funny because... Matt and I share all the time how in the beginning of our relationship, we really, really struggled. And Matt shares openly that he struggled with a temper in the, in the beginning of our marriage. And he has worked so much on that over the years and really flipped it. And so now when we would get into conflict, um, you know, I would be upset, he'd be upset. And then he would take this deep breath. Um, and sometimes he's, he takes this deep breath and he goes... So what I hear you saying is, which makes me so mad because he's won the maturity race, right? He's the first one to do reflective listening and calm himself and to let me go first and having my issue resolved. And so of course, in a funny, ironic way, I get even more mad because now I've lost the race, right? And So um, it doesn't give us permission to be, you know, to launch into childish behavior and complete immaturity. But the goal here is to have a race for maturity. Like, can you race against yourself even to say, I could act like a child right now, but I'm going to choose to respond with maturity, which means I'm going to choose humility and curiosity and have a servant heart towards wanting um, person A to have whatever the issue is that they have with me resolved and repaired. And to do so means I have to let their issue go first and for me to be the most mature one or or to maybe try to outmature them, right? So it's kind of like a little game you can play in your head that kind of pulls you out of defensiveness and pulls you out of kind of the childish mindset and instead into kind of that servant heart um, and that adulting process of humbling yourself, okay? So um, again, we're reviewing pull apart intent versus impact. Number two, one topic at a time. Number three, have a race for maturity. Um number 4 take healthy timeouts okay cannot stress this one enough we covered stonewalling which is like an unhealthy timeout where we never come back and have a time in so a healthy timeout is um being able to acknowledge when things are out of control when you are having flooding which is what usually leads towards gaslighting or stonewalling or defensiveness When We are having that kind of flooding of shame even in our bodies. And Gottman talks about how our heart rate and conflict really kicks up, how we lose the ability to think clearly and be mature. And so if you find yourself in a flooded state, call a timeout. A timeout is healthy. It helps us calm our bodies down where we can do the one thing that we have control over, which is our breathing that helps us calm our heart rate down so that we can think clearly and then enter back into that repair Um process of being mature and being open to humility and curiosity and and, and really valuing what's happening in person A, right? So call a timeout if you need to, um, but the healthy timeout involves being able to call a healthy time in. So it might look like hey, I hear what you're saying. I'm really flooding right now or I'm in a shame spiral right now. Can I just have 20 minutes to calm myself down and have a timeout? But in 20 minutes, we'll even set a timer, but in 20 minutes, we'll come back and we'll try again. Or a healthy timeout might be, hey, I really wanna resolve this with you, but the kids are running around. Can we call a time in after we put the kids to bed? Or another thing that Matt and I share, um, there's scripture that says you should never let the sun go down on your anger. And we share with people all the time that we believe that scripture is taken out of context of trying to resolve a conflict going into like two and three o'clock at night, you know, trying to resolve it before the sun comes up is not really healthy. Um, When you are getting tired, you're also not able to think clearly. And so we always say nothing great Um, is communicated or resolved after like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And so if you are not thinking clearly and you're tired, call a timeout and say, let's talk about it in the morning. Is that okay if we call a time in um, tomorrow uh, morning or over lunch if you have work tomorrow, right? So, um, call healthy timeouts, but the important thing is, is that you officially call a time in so that we don't trigger abandonment in the other person. Okay. Timeouts are also not slamming doors, passive aggressively stomping away, right? It is a healthy communication. Use a Q word. If you can't say all the words that I said, choose a silly word like pineapple. I know for a while there when I was counseling couples and I would ask them, you know, what would be a Q word, um, that you can use with each other, that you would know what that word means. Um, For some reason, for a while there, everybody chose pineapple and I don't know why. So choose a silly word that creates humor um, or that reminds you to stay lighthearted. The point is, is do you have a way to communicate to the other person? I love you. I care about you. I want to resolve this. I want to repair it, but I need to call a healthy timeout, but I am, I am committed to a healthy time in. Okay. The last one, number five, is be committed to grow. Um, what is your plan for growth? Okay. So this is really hard. Um, if we are going to learn to say, I'm sorry, um, which by the way happens at any of these stages, right? Like we could find ourselves separating intent versus impact and going, I see my intentions matter. I didn't mean to, but I see the impact that I had on you. And I'm sorry, like that. I'm sorry could happen right at that step. Number one. Right. But if it takes us getting to number two, one topic at a time, And I'm willing to hear you leveraging that number three, which is a race for maturity to go, you know what? I'm going to choose to be mature here. I'm going to choose to humble myself and I'm going to choose to do one topic at a time. And I'm going to apologize sincerely with maturity, um, seeing that impact and seeing your topic first. That apology can come in there, right? I'm um, calling a healthy time out of being able to like call a timeout. And then after we think on it and find our words, being able to come back and say, I see what you were trying to tell me and I'm sorry, right? So these words, I'm sorry, can happen anywhere along this pipeline, if you want to call it, of this process to repair. Um We don't necessarily need to wait for the end, right? Like, let's get to that those hard words sooner rather than later. Um, But if we are going to say, I'm sorry, we also need to be able to have a plan for growth, right? Person A doesn't um, want just the apology. They want to know, um, are you able to... Repair this moment, but also um, restore this relationship. That this thing doesn't happen again and again and again. Right? Like if if we're gonna have this one topic, if if we're saying I'm sorry for the same thing and we're never changing or growing, this you know person A bringing this topic to you, this topic is gonna become a snowball because now the topic is shifting from this one thing that you did wrong to this pattern. Of things that you never are willing to change. So now the topic has evolved like a snowball. And now it's like, why are you unwilling to change this thing? Such as, you know, I hear all the time, whether it's, you know, video games, like, you know, putting video games before the family or before family time or pornography pornography or these habits or drinking or right, like some of these habitual destructive behaviors. Yes, the drinking is the thing that I'm asking you to address. But if we are not willing to grow and say, I'm sorry, and and actually have a plan for growth, that repetitive behavior is going to become a pattern and now it becomes a bigger topic, a bigger issue. And we don't want that to happen, right? So if we're going to say, I'm sorry for something, there needs to be some kind of plan for growth. How are we going to um, slow down those habits? How are we going to address that habit? How are we going to um, acknowledge that this is something that I did and I, and I'm going to try to not do it again? Um, so have some kind of plan or answer, or maybe that's, um, maybe that's where the conversation goes is how do we, um, address this happening again? Obviously, if this is, you stepped on my foot, right? Like that's not, may not be a huge issue of like, now I need to have a plan for how I'm not going to step on your foot in the future, right? Those are those accidental things that happen and I'm sorry, um, Moving forward. But I know that a lot of what you guys are dealing with, whether it's in your marriage or with your kids or at work, is um, a lot of times these things that you're bringing up that you're wanting to address in the relationship is more about a pattern of behavior that you're asking to change. And Um, that's where all the defensiveness and shame comes in because that other person person b may not know how to change the pattern right so that's why having a plan or coming up with a plan or having some kind of initial agreed upon plan for growth may be really helpful and important so um you know i'm sorry is so hard to say um Perhaps it's one of those phrases that each of us need to um, say or practice in the car or practice in front of a mirror or um, whatever to um, build the skill of being able to say it faster and say it with full heart and full meaning, right? Right. When it all comes down to it, your relationships are important. Uh, The people in your life matter, and they matter more than the job. They matter more than anything that you could accomplish in your life and keeping those relationships healthy and connected and free and clear from all of the hurt and all of the misunderstanding is the most important thing that you could commit to doing in your life. And so I think to close today, I'm just going to invite you to think about is there any relationship in your life right now that is deserving of an apology from you Is there any relationship where someone has pointed out something that you've done wrong and it's overdue for an apology from you? Maybe there's something that you have done and maybe Person A didn't even bring it up yet, but you know you could have handled it better, or you know that it's something that you need to work on and that you're really struggling with it, but you know it's hurting them or it's causing distance in your relationship with them, What can you do to be the first one to win the maturity race by humbling yourself and um, addressing it before they can even bring it up with you? That is like the most glorious form of healing that happens in our relationships is when we are willing to see our flawedness, see our imperfection and give ourselves the grace to go to someone first and acknowledge where we could be better, you know seeing what we could do better and saying out loud, I know it could be better, is not um, shaming ourselves. It's seeing ourselves soberly, seeing ourselves um, in reality um, and not just what we wish that we were and acknowledging that with a plan of how can you work on that or how will you work on it. One of my favorite things to do, which goes all the way back to my book, Sacred Spaces, and the blue bracelets that I encourage people to to wear when they put a bracelet on their arm to remind themselves kind of this, um, you know, sometimes we don't work on things or we forget that we're willing to work on things because it's out of sight, out of mind. And so putting a bracelet on, that's something that I can see on my wrist as a reminder of this is what I'm working on right now. And this is what I'm focused on. And I don't want to forget it because it impacts the the lives and the relationships around me. Put something on your wrist that reminds you of, of this plan for growth that you have for yourself, for your own sake, but also the relationships around you so if there's someone for you to reach out to today, I'm going to encourage you to take that step. It's uncomfortable and it's vulnerable, but it's so important that we know how to do it. And I promise you, um, there's bonus points when we go to that person first before they have to bring it up with us. Lastly, this is where I think the conversation on strengths is so important You know, when I work with couples and individuals and teams using the Strength Finder from Gallup, one of the things that we talk about a lot is our top five or even our top 10 strengths is what comes easiest and most natural to us. Whereas when we open up our results and see our full 34, because there's 34 themes that Gallup have decided are these talents that um, show up naturally in the humans across the world of every country and every um of every population there's these 34 themes and there are there are bottom strengths of mine that are considered my weaknesses and so it's really helpful for me to know what my weaknesses are for example adaptability is number 33 for me which means when big changes happen um, it's really hard for me to adapt quickly which means I may not necessarily respond as the best version of myself like if something really big is happening or if we're PCSing and Matt knows to give me grace on that because it just doesn't happen very quickly for me to adapt my perspective. I need a little bit of time to refocus, right? I also know that he has empathy as number 34, which might shock some of you guys. He's incredibly compassionate and he's wonderful with people, um, but he just doesn't need to to feel the feelings of other people in order to serve them and love them. And so there's grace that goes to him. If I am wishing in that moment that he was leveraging empathy, it's so helpful to know that that's really hard for him to use empathy and feel someone else's feelings in order to... Um, engage that relationship or repair. He might be coming at it from a strategic place, or he might come at it from a different angle or the desire to like close the gap of the relationship, but he may not necessarily need to feel the feelings that the other person is feeling in order to close the gap and heal the relationship. I hope that encourages some of you listening. There's a lot of service members out there that have empathy pretty low on their results, but that doesn't mean that they're unwilling to value you. If you are bringing to them, I need you to know how I feel, they can hear how you feel and they care about how you feel, but we need to be careful to not want the other person to want person B to feel our devastation or feel our hurt in order to value our experience, right? We, that's not fully necessary. So when your spouse is saying, I hear you and I understand you and I'm sorry, that that be enough for you that empathy for a lot of people does not come naturally. And that doesn't mean they're a robot, and it doesn't mean that they're cold, and it doesn't mean they're a narcissist, okay? It just means that they aren't leveraging that as the first or best talent that they have to resolve the conflict. They are still acting out of love and concern and out of desire to close the distance in the relationship, But they aren't um, necessarily needing to feel your feelings in order to do that or for it to be love, okay? So strengths can be an incredibly helpful um, tool to use in your relationships, whether it's at work or in your team or in your parenting especially, in your marriage especially, to help have new language of not only how we see each other and how we value each other, but also what is each person bringing to the table as their best version of themselves, the talent that they're bringing to the family, to the marriage, to parenting, but also how are they bringing those strengths to resolve conflict? Because I guarantee you they're using their strengths to resolve that conflict in love. And sometimes their strengths are kind of going off that, that creates the defensiveness or the reactions that we may not want to see, but it's really them trying to solve the conflict out of love. Um, but strengths are so much easier to pull from than our weaknesses. So hopefully that makes sense. If, it, um, if it's something that you would like to pursue more, reach out, um, go to my website, it's coryweathers.com, where you can find out more on how to do coaching with me. Um, I love to work with teams. I love to work with marriages and I love to apply it to parenting as well, where we can talk about how to use your strengths more appropriately. Um, It really does a great job of increasing productivity in your teamwork, but also reducing conflict. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I hope this was helpful. Share the podcast with someone else. Um, Maybe if you had a conversation with a girlfriend or with someone at work about how there's conflict going on and maybe this is a new way for us to address it. Share it with others. I really rely on your word of mouth reviews. Also, subscribe to the podcast. It shows up in all of these platforms when more people subscribe. Leave a review. That helps other people find the podcast as well. Most importantly, thank you for joining me for season eight. I'm so excited about the Leadership Series. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. And I'll meet you right back here for the next episode of the Leadership Series. Thank you for listening to the life giver podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or leave a review so others can find it as well. Were you thinking of someone else who would benefit from hearing today's episode? You can be a life giver to them by simply sharing it with an encouraging note. If you would like to connect with me or find out more about my work, you can visit www.coryweathers.com.